0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Jason Burns and Access Church in Lakeland, Florida. For more information, visit access.tv. We're in part two of a series called The Path of Most Resistance. And if you missed last week, I don't want you to feel like you're lost. Last week was what I call a toe stepper. Stepped all up on your toes. And here's what I said Jesus said. in, In the book of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples... If any of you wants to be my follower, and that's what he wants us to do is to follow him, you must give up your own way. Ouch. It's hard, right? And you must take up your cross and follow me. And we said this last week. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, like really actually a follower, you need to hear this. You can't carry your cross and your opinion at the same time. And I don't... I love you, but I don't really care what your opinion is. I don't care what your political opinion is or your opinion on sexuality or morality or any of those things. Everybody's got an opinion, but God's word is the authority. And so last week we said that. Now we're talking about the path of most resistance. Most Americans want the easy way out Through everything, but there's a much more difficult journey in following Jesus. But I really believe it is the journey that shapes us to become who He's called us to be. Today, I want to talk to you about what I believe is actually the most difficult step in following Jesus. It's the thing most followers of Jesus struggle with, in my opinion, and it's the area of giving and putting God first in the area of our money. Now, I know when I say that, like immediately half of the room tensed up. Like, I want you to know this. I need you to understand this. Like, there's no games. There's no manipulation. We're not going to like twist your arm. We've already talked about the offering. That's all over. I, I want you to hear this. I want something for you, not something from you. I want something for you. I want you to experience God's best. I don't need something from you. In fact, let me say this to you. You are sitting around the most irrationally generous people. Last month was one of our biggest giving months in the history of our church. Like if, if you don't give anything, we're going to be fine. This isn't about getting something from you. This is we want something for you. We want God's best for you. No games, no manipulation. Let's get to work. Um, about this time last year, I got kind of a devastating phone call. Uh, my grandfather, who I love, had passed away. And um, I've done lots of funerals as a pastor, and funerals are always interesting. But this one was particularly difficult and interesting for me because it was my grandpa. And I had, I had two grandfathers growing up. This was the one I was close to, this was the one I wanted to be like. I'm named after this man. And when I'm, when, I'm pre- when I'm preaching or speaking, there's always two conversations going on. One is like, what am I talking about? And the other one is I'm thinking about other stuff. I'm thinking about you. I'm, I'm wondering like, why are you sitting like that? And why is she sleeping? And a few weeks ago, I was preaching and so somewhere in like two thirds of the way through the second service, I thought to myself, I am starving right now. Like I'm always thinking about something else, you know? So I'm doing my funeral for my grandfather and um, honoring him and celebrating his life. And as I was talking about him, I had this second conversation going on in my mind about someday, 50, 60, 80, 100 years from now, that'll be me. And people will gather probably in an arena at that point in my life, some big, massive celebration, I'm assuming, and and they're going to remember my life. What do I want them to say about me? I I hope people say things like, well, he loved God with all of his heart, and he loved his family. He adored his wife, cherished his kids. He loved being a dad. He loved being a husband. He loved it. He he was a good friend, great person, but I hope when you talk about me, I hope they they use this one word, that he was generous, that that he lived open-handedly, that it wasn't all about him. It's like, it's a wrong assumption to think that all the extra is for your consumption. Like, I don't want to hold on to everything for myself, but I want to live generously, live an open kind of life. The book of Proverbs, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, says it like this. He said, the world of the generous gets larger and larger and conversely the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller and I want to live a large life a big kind of life the kind of life that leaves a rippling effect into future generations and I want that for you and here's what you need to understand following Jesus is gonna require something of you but in response to that when you do that you get to live a big God-sized large kind of life that's my hope for you now they're gonna started today uh, Friday night was was Southeastern University's graduation. It was fun. Some of you graduated and we honor you. But but I went because there was a special graduate, my mother-in-law who is 70 years old, graduated with her master's degree. That was awesome. <laughs> Looking at you, mom. And um, it was super fun. We, had a, we celebrated her, honored her. And then after the ceremony was over, we, we had a whole spread at my house. We got a cake. We got a charcuterie board, which is honestly a lunchable for adults is what it is. But But I did some work on that thing, everybody. It was was great. We had a party, just kind of celebrated. And we were sitting around the table, and my mother-in-law said something to me, just a simple little sentence, an observation, but it was so strange to me. She goes, Jason, you look really tan right now. No one's ever said this to me in my whole life ever. And so when she said it, my jaw kind of hit the ground. And before I could even say a word, my wonderful wife responded with this she said, what? Jason looks tan? Jason Burns? Like, who does this? Like, that hurt, by the way. This is cheaper than counseling. I get all my issues out here is what I do. Anyways, and so this hurt, but no one's ever said this to to me about me because I'm super white. Like, I'm white, white, like ghost white. That's what I am. Some, some years ago, I've told this story before, but some years ago, Liz was with one of her friends and her friend said, what is Jason? Like what nationality is he? Now now my wife, she's super Italian, olive skin. When she goes in the sun, she gets a tan. When I go in the sun, I schedule a dermatologist appointment, you know? And so, so she goes, what are you? So Liz texts me, Jason, what are you? And I'm like, what does that even mean right now? She goes, no, like, what ethnicity are you? So I searched the internet and I sent her back this picture, <laughs> wonderbread. <laughs> And not just white, no, 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 classic white. That's what your boy is right here. And the truth is, I don't really know what I am. Um, All of my growing up years, my my grandmother told me, you are 116th Western Cherokee. Miss me with that Eastern Cherokee nonsense. Western Cherokee is what I am, 116th. And she she would even say things to me like, Jason, I don't want you to pay for any of your college. We're petitioning Congress. They are going to pay for your college. And I said, our people have suffered, is what I said. And... Anyways, I don't know what I am, and so this conversation sparks me to go on this journey to figure out what is my nationality, and I ordered one of those kits from 23andme.com. It's an ancestry test, so you get it, and you spit in a tube, and you send it off, and they send it back, and they, they said, this is what you are, so this is my results. White, 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 and I have some questions, and um, that's, that's what I am right there, all kinds of white, right? And it's fascinating to me how this works. It's fascinating, you can spit in a tube and send it off and they can tell you who you are and where you came from. And it got me thinking, I wish there was a way for us to do that to our souls. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be amazing if there was a way for you to spit in a tube and mail it off and it would send you back results about how you're doing in your relationship with God? And how are you doing at loving and serving and being a blessing? What what about the issues that affect you? Like how are you doing with joy and peace? and patience, kindness. How are you doing with these things? Well, there's not really for many of those ways, but I want you to know as we're talking about giving and generosity, there is a way, according to Jesus, that you can actually know. Like there's a way to keep score for how you're actually doing in the area of your giving and generosity. Jesus said it like this in Luke 12, verse 34. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And a lot of people think they're really generous. But the funny thing is, Jesus said there's actually a way to know how giving is going for you. And the way you do it is by looking in your bank account. You see, your bank account will reveal a heart of generosity or it will call you a liar. So here's what Jesus says. If you want to know the condition of your heart when it comes to giving, look at where your money is. And the funny thing is, this is the opposite of how we tend to think of when we think of money. We tend to think that where our heart is, that's where our money's going to go. Don't we? We think if we care about something and we love something, then we'll give money to it. This is how most marketing agencies market. They'll show you sad pictures of animals who are starving or they have all got like one gimpy leg or something, and they'll show you them. And they'll think that if it touches your heart, then you'll give money to it. But that's not the way Jesus said your heart works. Jesus said it's actually where your money is, that's where your heart follows. That's where your heart goes. And I never understood this until a few years ago. About seven years ago, I had a buddy who said, Jason, you got to get into Bitcoin. Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Out of curiosity, has anyone here heard of Bitcoin? Anyone in the room heard of it? Like a lot of people. Okay, next question. Does anyone in the room own any Bitcoin at all? Anybody? A few people in the back. Yeah, in the back. Perfect. Um, so he's like, you got to buy some Bitcoin. And I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know what Bitcoin did. I'm going to be honest seven years later. Still don't know what it does, but I bought some. Bought some. And I bought a little bit and it grew. And I was like, whoa, cool. And so I bought some more and it grew. And then I bought a lot more and it crashed all of a sudden. And then it started growing and it took off and it grew exponentially. Let me tell you something. Before six or seven years ago, I didn't care at all about Bitcoin. I never worried about it. I never lost any sleep over it. I wasn't consumed by it. I didn't care how it did. It didn't bother me. None of it mattered to me at all until it had my money. And the moment it had my money, it had my attention. Now, every single day I check to see how it's doing. Why? Because it has my money. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God needs your money? No. He's God. He's fine. The stock market in heaven is fine. He's not worried about inflation. Gas prices don't bother him at all. He never loses sleep over the status of his job. He's God. He's fine. He doesn't need your money. What is God after? He's after your heart. So Jesus' words were true. God understands that where your treasure is, your heart is gonna follow after it. So what does God want? God wants you to give generously so that he has your heart. Now, a lot of people, they think they're generous. And they're really wonderful, well-intending, incredible people, but the problem is is that they think they're generous, but they're actually not. And I wanna show you the difference, okay? The difference between acting generous And actually being generous is one word, intentionality. You have to have a plan when it comes to giving. Now, I told you a moment ago, I'm not gonna manipulate you. I wanna take you right to scripture and I wanna show you what God's word says. And then I wanna challenge all of us to take the path of most resistance toward trusting God in this way. The first point, if you're gonna be a generous person, the way God deems generous is this, you need to declare that God must be first. That God must be first. Here's what this means. God wants to be first in every part of your life. First in your time, first in your energy, first in your serving. It's the reason we put church on Sundays because God gets the first of our week. God wants to be first in every part of your life. And that includes in the area of your finances. But let me show you another word in the sentence that's actually more important than first. It's the second word is that God must be first. Here's what this means. It means God cannot be second. He's God. In theology, there's a term called the preeminence of God. We don't throw that term around very often, but preeminence literally means above everything else. That God reigns supreme above all of it. Everything else in the world is competing for second place. God is first, and He must be first. This is the reason that Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, said it like this in Proverbs 3 9 and 10. He said, Honor the Lord with your possessions, with your stuff, with your resources. And with the first fruits of all of your increase. I wanna talk about these two words, first fruits and increase, in just a moment. And then there's a promise attached that when you honor God with your possessions, He says, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. This is God's intention for the church, for followers of Jesus, is that we honor Him with our possessions and we bring Him the first fruits. Now, chances are you haven't used the word firstfruits in your conversation any time this year. Firstfruits is not a Bible word. It's an agrarian word, a word used by farmers. Firstfruits are the first of your harvest. When you go out, if you had an apple orchard and you went out and picked apples, the first ones that you pick, according to scripture, those firstfruits, those belong to God. And it's the fruits on any increase. Now, let me explain this to you. A lot of Christians get all hung up on the terms of giving. It's like, well, do I give on the gross or do I give on the net? Stop making it complicated and legalistic. Let me help you make it easy. Anytime there's increase in your life, it's when you get paid. It's when you get some sort of dividends from your stocks that you're invested in. It's when you get an inheritance given to you. It's, It's like whenever new money, new resources flows into your life and into your account, God demands, he must be first. And God gets the first fruit of all of your increase. That's how it works when it comes to God. God must be first. The problem is, it's hard for us at times to understand how to articulate it. Like, God, how do I show you that you're first? So God put a system in place for followers of Jesus. It's literally found at the very beginning of the Bible, before the law, in the law, and after the law, in the New Testament, in the grace section of Scripture. It's all throughout Scripture. And it is God's plan for showing him that he's first. And it's this term tithing. So at number two is, the tithe must be first. And here's the funny thing that a lot of Christians get hung up on. They don't understand what this means. Tithe is not a Bible word. A lot of us think tithe is just a biblical word. Tithe is not a Bible word. It's just an old word. It's before the Bible. The word tithe literally means 10% or one-tenth is what tithe means. It's not a Bible word. It just means one-tenth. And the tithe must be first. This was always God's intention. And one of the fun things about God is, I love that God, he created a system that's fair for everybody. So if you make $10 a year or $10 billion a year, it's a percentage for every single person. Way before the law in the book of Exodus chapter 23, it says this, Exodus 23 verse 19, God says to Moses, the first of the first fruits of your land shall you bring into the house of the Lord your God. Let me kind of explain this to you. Anytime there's an increase in your life, the first of the first fruits. So here's what this means. It means before you pay your bills, it means before you find out if at the end of the month there's any surprises like an unexpected medical bill or get into a little fender bender and it's going to cost you a $500 deductible, before you do any of that, you'd say to God, God, I trust you. You're my source. You're my provision, not me. And you put him first in this area. God gets the first of the first fruits. So anytime money comes in, we honor God in the first way. Let me tell you how sincere I am about this principle in my life. Liz and I have reoriented our finances in this way. Not legalistically, but we've literally made the decision. So like on the first of the month, my mortgage is due, my electric bill is due, car payments are due. All those bills are due on the first of the month. But all those bills have a grace period. So I literally move the payment to the second of the month. And I give because I get paid at the end of the month. I give on the first of the month because I want God to know that before I know if there's going to be any surprises, he's my source. I'm not my provider. God is my provider. I am not the source of my income. God gives me energy and strength and wisdom and promotion and provision. God takes care of me, not me. You understand this, right? So God, you get the first. Now, look, let me be clear. I don't think God is legalistic like i don't think if sometime between getting paid and the first of the month and giving like my wife and i go to target sometimes right and usually we go to target i walk in and do what i got to do and liz gets lost in the bermuda triangle right in the front it's called the dollar spot you know what i'm talking about i've literally like gone into the store gone home come back and she's still there do you know what i'm talking about and say we go to target and we spend money in the dollar spot i don't think god is in heaven being like well You spent money before you gave, zap. It's it's not that at all. How God tends to operate is based on our heart. So I've reoriented our finances so that I say, God, you are first in every part of my life, including my money. So it says, the first of the first fruits of your land shall you bring into the house of the Lord your God. Now, this is an interesting word. You need to understand that everything in the world is God's. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. That literally means everything that's here. It's all God's, it all belongs to him. And he uses this word, he doesn't say, shall you give into the house of the Lord your God? It says, shall you bring. Now, this is an interesting word and it's a, it's a really significant distinction. Let me explain it to you like this. Uh, my wife and I, we have three kids, Joey, Gavin, and Ella. They're incredible. And we have two dogs, they are terrorists. <laughs> That's what we have. And um, two little French bulldogs, they're super cute. There's Gus and we had Gus for a while and my wife was like desperate, begging for another dog. We gotta have another dog. We gotta have another dog, we gotta have another dog. Somewhere along the line, I just, I just determined that a happy wife leads to a happy life. And so finally, I gave in, and we got this little guy. His name is George. George is cute. He's got a little bit of an underbite. This, coincidentally, was a picture I took on the way for George's surgery to get him fixed. This is the last picture of him as a man. And um, if I got to show it, I got to put him on blast. And so anyways, this is George. And I like dogs. I really do. Sometimes I get a bad rap because it feels like I don't like dogs. I love our dogs. They're fun. They add a lot of joy to our family, but they also add responsibility. And I already feel over-responsible in my life. There's a lot of things I'm responsible for. And so um, I feel like sometimes the dogs add one more thing for us. Like if we want to leave town, we got to find someone to pan our dogs off on or someone to come stay at our house with our dogs. Just imagine this with me, okay? Play along. Imagine that you decided that you were willing to help us and you came to stay at our house and you were gonna watch our dogs. So you come over and I said, look, here's the deal. Here's the keys to the house. Okay, I want you to take care of the house. Two rules, two rules. Number one, don't burn it down. And number two, I want my dogs, both dogs. I want them both to be alive when I get home. We can fix anything else. House doesn't burn down dogs alive. Eat anything you want, watch anything you want. Crank the air down so low that you could hang meat in the house and it would be fine. I don't care about any of that. Don't burn down the house. Dog's alive. You got it? Yes. Okay. So we give you the keys. We leave for a week. At the end of the week, Liz and I come back to the house and you're there. Is anybody old enough to remember a TV show called Extreme Makeover Home Edition? You remember this? Where they build or fix a house. And the way they did the big reveal is they had a big bus out in front of the house, just right out in front of it. And imagine we came back from being gone for a week and you're outside and you're giddy. You can't wait to see us. We come out and we're like, what's all this? What's going on? And you're like, guys, I love you. You're the best, best pastors I've ever had. I adore you. I think the world of you. And to show you how much I love you, and you pull out my keys, and you say, I got you something. And you said that famous line from Extreme Makeover Home Edition, bus driver, move that bus, and the bus leaves. <laughs> and behind it is my house. Like my house. The house I paid the mortgage on. The house I paid the electric bill for. The grass that I can make sure it gets cut. It's my house. It's not your house. It's my house. And you hand me the keys and you're like, I love you. you. I got, got you. And you hand me the keys. Child, I would choke you in this moment, right? Because you can't give someone something that is theirs already. All you can do is bring it back to them. So scripture teaches that all of it is God's. If you're tithing, you're just bringing back to God a portion that is his. People get all tripped up, 10%, 10% is so much money. You are right, but here's what scripture also teaches, that it belongs to God, and he graciously gives you the other 90% for your enjoyment, and check this out, when God gets the first 10%, the other 90% is blessed. So here's what I've discovered. I would rather live on 90% that is blessed by God than 100% that's under my own control. All right, all right. Uh, All right, here we go. So here we go. So in the book of Genesis, God creates the world, hangs the sun, moon, and stars. In it, he places two people, Adam and Eve. They have some babies, and one of them is like a farmer, and one of them is like a rancher, and they bring God an offering. And I want you to see this. Genesis chapter four, verse three through five. It says, and in the process of time, these three words matter, process of time. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Go on. It says, Abel also brought of the firstborn, that's a key word there, of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel. You could also use the word received. And the Lord received Abel in his offering, but he did not respect or receive Cain in his offering. What is the difference in the two? The first one, Cain, it says in the process of time. So he's a farmer. So he raised kinds of crops and fruit and all kinds of vegetables or whatever. And in the process of time, which means after he had made sure he was taken care of, After he had gotten his for himself, he looked at what was left and he brought some of it to God. Is that giving? Sure. Is it giving first? No. Then it says, Abel took the first of his livestock's offspring and he brings it to God. What does that symbolize? Before he knew if those cattle would have any more offspring, before he knew that he would have any more calves, any more little lambs, before anything like that happened, he just knew that God was his source and God was his provision and not him. And he gave to God first. What happens? God receives Abel's offering and he rejects Cain's offering. Let me show this to you. Um, there's only four ways to give. And I want you to see, and I want you to be honest. Find out where you are on this. Here's the four levels of generosity. Step one is giving. And all of us are givers. This is why we think we're generous. It's because we give. And we give birthday presents and we give going away cards with gifts. And we, we like to bless people. we We're generous, and a lot of people actually that are church people, church attenders, they even give sometimes to their church. And we have a lot of givers in our church. But a lot of people will give something and they think they're tithing because they're giving something. But remember, tithing is just a word that means 10%. So it's not tithing until you make the jump from point number one to point number two. There's a lot of good people, well-intending, well-meaning people who are tippers. They give God a little something, but they don't really tithe. And let me say this to you, and let me be as blunt as I can. The jump from giving to tithing is the path of most resistance. It is the hardest jump you will have to make in trusting God. The funny thing is, the more successful you are, the more money you earn, the harder that jump gets. Why? Because you see how much 10% is. And it's a car payment. It could be a mortgage payment. It could be a vacation home for you. It gets to be so much money at times, and you think what you could do With that, but there's a promise connected to tithing all throughout scripture. It's when we honor God and put him first, he honors us and puts us first. So some people are givers and we give. Some people are tithers. Here's a kind of a startling, unsettling statistic. According to the most recent research, less than 10% of church-going American Christians tithe. You're generous. I have no idea what our percentages are and you're crazy generous, but less than 10% have made the jump. But can I show you something? Here's the promise of God. When you give over and above tithing, it's called offerings. Offerings are anything that we give once you're a tither, when you give over and above, that this might be through our legacy giving that we do three or four times a year. This might be to meet a need. This might be to bless a missionary. This might be to bless a family that you know of that's just kind of had a hard season of their life. So when you give over and above, that's what's called an offering. But when you get to this, there is a fourth level of generosity that I want all of us to experience. And it's what I call extravagant generosity. And all throughout Scripture, there's moments where God shows up to his people and he says, I want you to do something and it's not going to make a lot of sense. Think about King Solomon. The night he's coronated, God shows up to him and he says, Solomon, you're king. I'll give you anything you want. What do you want? And a lot of people would have said a lot of money or fame or success or whatever, And he said, God, give me wisdom. And he got wisdom. He became the wisest man to ever live. And then he gets everything else. He gets all the money, fame, and notoriety. He gets all of it. But you know what happens before that night? If you literally go to the chapter before in Scripture, Solomon makes an offering to the Lord. It was customary for a king who was going to be coronated to sacrifice one animal to the Lord. Solomon did it in the thousands. The largest recorded offering in all of Scripture, Solomon gives to the Lord extravagantly gives. Of course, God shows up. Of course, God blesses him. Why? Because when we honor God, when we put him first, and when we do what he says, of course, he pours out his blessing. So here's the third point. It must be blessed to multiply. Now, here's the hard, here's the hard deal. The hard deal for so many of us is we, we, we want to pretend that we don't know this. We want to pretend. Now, let me just get real for a minute, okay? Years ago, I was at this church, great church, great people. It was tax season, probably like March or April. And the pastor said, everybody, I want you to know this. A few weeks ago, you got a letter in the mail and he held up a piece of paper and he says, it's a giving statement from the church. It shows you how much you gave this year. And this is the time of the year we do taxes. And he pulled up a big tax document and he said this. He said, if the number on the first form, the giving statement, isn't 10% or more of what your income was last year, you are going to be cursed. And you could just feel the whole room go, ooh. I was like, bro. Get a cold shower, you know? Like, I didn't know what to tell the guy. Like, relax. But here's the funny thing in Scripture. Scripturally, when God gets the first 10%, Scripture teaches that the rest is blessed. When you don't, your finances are under a curse. It's like, it's like carrying a, a, a colander full of sand. No, no matter how fast or hard you carry it, all the sand is eventually going to leak out. Scripture teaches that when we honor God and put him first, the rest is blessed. There's this interesting moment in Scripture in the book of Malachi chapter 3, and God says to this prophet Malachi, he says, I want you to tithe. I want you to trust me in this way. But he uses this interesting phrase. He says, will man rob God? What a weird statement. Like, how can you rob God, right? It's like, I thought about it like this. Um, kind of pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, we used to pass offering buckets. Some churches probably still do this. We don't really do this anymore. But, but imagine this. Imagine you visited some other church, right? And you're there, you've got your family and friends with you, and they pass the offering buckets and you're, you're like on row, you're on seat number six or seven in the row, and they pass the offering bucket and you look down and the dude in front of you pulls out this massive stack of cash and he puts it in the offering bucket and it passes down and it gets to you. Who in their right mind would reach into the offering box, pull a whole stack of cash out and stick it in their pocket? Like nobody would do that, right? That's, that's God's money. It's holy money. It's sacred money. It belongs to God. That, that candidly is the reason that I am so strong with our staff. We do not waste church money. We invest it to make a difference in the world. We do not waste any of it. It's not for us. It is God's money. You don't touch it, you don't mess with it. There are moments in scripture where people steal from God and God like zaps them dead. You don't play with God's money. Who would do that? Now, you wouldn't steal like that. But let me ask you another question, okay? Hypothetically, if I borrowed something from you, it was yours, but I borrowed it. And you asked for it back, but I don't, I don't give it back. And I keep it to myself. And I use it for my own joy. And I use it for my own pleasure. And it's all about me and making me happy. But I never return it back to you. Did I steal from you? I sure did. In the same way, if God has given you resources, blessing and provision, he's provided for you and given you finances, and it stays in your bank account, but it's never brought back to God. Not given. It's never brought back to God. You just stole from God. It's the same thing. I told you, path of most resistance. This is hard. He says, will you rob God? No, no, God, I would never rob you. So here's God's response. Malachi 3, verse 10. Go back one for me if you don't mind. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. This is God's language. He says, bring, there's that word again. You can't give it. All you can do is bring it back to him. And he says, bring the whole tithe. Not what most Christians do when they wait till the end of the month and they see if they have enough at the end of the month to give God a little something. No, bring. Before you know if you're going to have any surprise bills, before you know how the month is going to shake out, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This word storehouse literally means the place where you're fed spiritually. So bring your whole tithes to church that there may be food in my house. And then I love God. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. This is the only place in scripture where God invites us to test him. A lot of really cute college couples are like, we're just testing God in this relationship. Well, good for you, champ, but you can't do that. It's not in the Bible, right? Have fun with that. It doesn't work like that, slugger. It doesn't happen like that. Test me in the area of my finances. And then here's the promise of God. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven pour out so much blessing on you that there won't be room enough to store it. This is the promise of God that when we put him first in this area, he as our loving, gracious heavenly father pours out so much blessing on us that we cannot contain it. Years ago, I did something at our church called the 90 day tithe challenge. And my whole idea was put God to the test. I mean, he said, test me in this. And I said, test God for 90 days. And if God doesn't bless you, provide for you and take care of you, the church will give you every penny back. And I went to do that one Sunday. And as I was about to do it, I just kind of felt this prompting in my, my spirit to not do it. It was as if God was saying, no, 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 no. It is not your job to take care of people. It's my job to take care of people. So I challenge you, you put God to the test. No strings attached, no games. Put God to the test and see if he won't pour out blessing on you in ways you can't even imagine Listen, I've got two minutes, let me tell you one story and then we'll be done. If I had an hour and an open microphone to tell you the stories of God's blessing and provision in my life, you'd be floored and blown away. Uh, A week or two ago, I was with my boys in Orlando and I don't know how we got on the subject, but the subject came up of like, dad, tell me some stories about your relationship with God. And I went into stories of me giving and God blessing in significant, like undeniable kinds of ways. Here's one fun story. Seven or eight years ago, our church was gonna do a whole message series, like four weeks talking about giving. And so I had this idea, there's a book that radically changed my life. If you're a note taker, write this down. The book is called The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris. Total game changer, it wrecked me. And I wanted to give the book out to the church, but the truth is the church just didn't have a lot of extra margin in that season. And we're really careful with church money. Like we do not waste it and we're never gonna make our finances so tight that I feel like I have to come beg you for money. That's just not how we roll. This is a very safe place. But I wanted to do it. Church didn't have the money, so I said to Liz, "I was like, Liz, the Lord's blessed our, our side business. Let's give it. Let's just give the money. We'll we'll give the money. We'll buy the books for everybody. We'll be good. That's how it'll work out." So so nobody knew this, but we gave the money and the books were twelve or thirteen dollars a piece. Look around the room, do the math. I mean, it was a really expensive day for us. We gave the books out for two days, for two Sundays. On the Monday after that second week, I go to my mailbox. And there's a letter in the mail from one of the vendors that my side business uses and works with. And I said, dear Jason, you're one of our top 10 customers. We're going roll to roll out a new rebate program next quarter, but we wanted to test it with our top 10 customers this quarter and closed as a check for, I think it was 4% of whatever your gross sales were last month or last quarter. And I look at the check and when I saw it, I know how God works. And I was like, no, hold up took the check. I ran back inside. It was a huge check. I go to my credit card statement to see how much did we pay for the books and the shipping and tax and whatever else we had to pay to get the books here in time. And I kid you not, whatever we paid for the books, this check that came from my vendor was the exact amount to the penny. It's as if God was in heaven going, gotcha sucker. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's our provision and he's our source. So many of us, we have this jacked up view of God. I've got so many stories of times that God prompted me to give something and literally I gave it and then I checked my email a few minutes later and a huge order, out of the blue, out of nowhere, I can't explain where it came from, a huge order came in. There have been times where I've given something and I've gone to my inbox and I've looked and it's literally like an order came in and I figure out how much I spent on whatever God asked me to give and I go to my inbox and I run the math to do the profit on it and it'll be to the penny, anywhere from 10 to 100 times what I gave. Now here's the problem. I love stories like that. and I'm, I'm a giver. We've given cars away. We've, we've bless people. We do all kinds of stuff. But here's what you need to understand. If you're not careful, what you will do is you will turn God into a heavenly slot machine. Think to yourself, I'm going to give this money and pull the lever. Come on, cherry, cherry, cherry. But that's not how God works. I want you to see this. We give to worship, not give to get. We give to worship God, not give to get. And here's what you need to understand. When you give, it shows God that I'm trustworthy. When God blesses you and he gives you more, here's what you need to understand. It's not to raise your standard of living. It's to raise your standard of giving. So here's my challenge to everyone in the room. Wherever you are, turn the dial. Take a step. It's not about me. In fact, it's not even about our church. If you don't ever give, we're fine. This isn't about us getting more from you. This is about you experiencing the blessing of God in your life. What would it look like if all of us took a step this week towards God in this way? For some of us, it's just starting somewhere, starting by giving. For of stuff, so we've been giving for a long time, but the truth is we're like little tippers. We give God whenever there's a little extra. Maybe it's time you take the massive jump, the jump to tithing when you tithe scripture teaches the rest is blessed maybe as a result of the blessing you're going to give over and above as god lays it on your heart i believe some of you this year god is going to show up and say go extravagant, go big and watch what he does would you bow your head and close your eyes with me all across this room let's pray together god thank you so much for this message god give us the courage to be not just hearers of your word but to be doers god the funny thing is it's so easy to talk about and so many of us think we're generous but according to Jesus' own words where our money is that's where our heart is and God we want you to have our heart so give us the courage to trust you to trust that you are our source you are our provider not us it's not our strength it's not our effort but it all comes from you God may we be bringers not just givers but bringers and God as a result we pray for your blessing in so many ways ways we can't even begin to wrap our minds around because you're good we thank you for it God With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed all over this place, if you're here and you would say, Jason, I don't know if I'm right with God. Maybe that means you've never started a relationship with God or maybe you've just wandered so far away. But today, first Sunday in May, you wanna make the decision to surrender your life to Jesus, to follow him. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Thanks, yep, thank you, my man, thank you. Yep, I see you. Here's your moment. If this is you, would you pray this with me? Hear me say this, praying a prayer only changes your life if you mean it with your heart. Would you say, Jesus, today I give you control of my life. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Jesus, step in, forgive my sins, make my heart new. Jesus, I decide today to follow you. Jesus, we believe that you are the son of God, came into this world, died on the cross to pay for our sins. Because of your great sacrifice, our life can be made new. So Jesus, forgive us, change us, make us new, save us. We love you and we surrender our lives to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, we just had people make that decision. Can we celebrate it together? I love it.